And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And so wherever you are, if you are able, I'd appreciate it if you'd stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which, is, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ, Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Boy, isn't that a unique statement. Father, I, I just praise you today for this passage. I thank you for what you have done. And Lord, teaching me through this passage, I pray that, Father, you would teach us together as we listen, as we uh, glean from these truths by your Holy Spirit. And, Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I wanted you to understand, as we looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw the amazing truth of God's amazing grace, his grace that brought us from dead to life through Jesus Christ, his grace that identified us with Christ and His grace that allowed us to understand not only what took place when God saved us, but who we became when God saved us. In other words, who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And all of that is the work of His amazing grace. Remember, it's not what we've done, it's what He done. It's His grace that brought all that to reality. Now, the amazing thing about these first 45 verses we looked at in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is there's only one imperative command in all of those verses. And that one imperative command was when he told us to remember who we were before God saved us. And so why would that be the only command in which he gave us in the first two chapters? Well, because if you don't understand who you were, then how are you ever going to understand who you are on this side of your salvation? And so Paul, or Paul just absolutely lays out a bunch of truth in chapter 1 and chapter 2. When we come to chapter 3, now Paul is going to begin to lay the groundwork 
of whereby one exhortation or command, another exhortation after another, after another, after another. Because what Paul is going to let us understand that if we understand our oneness with Christ, who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ, it's going to demonstrate itself. And so he's going to give us one exhortation after another of how and why the grace of God through our oneness with Christ ought to demonstrate itself in our lives. So in other words, if I have been saved, if I have been made one with Christ, the evidence or the proof of it is going to come out through my life. And so listen, this is not for the abnormal Christian. I want to tell you, this is for the every Christian. Or as Watchman Nee said, the normal Christian. You see, we've kind of dwelt in America today, and we have those that walk in the truths of what Ephesians 4, 5, 6 are going to say to us, and we think, well, that's the abnormal Christian. Well, isn't it sad today that what God called normal, we look at because we see so little of it in America, and we call it abnormal. And I tell you, we need to get back to the place where normal Christian living, as God sees it, ought to be normal for you and I in our churches and in our lives. And But in chapter 3, Paul, I believe, in these first 13 verses, he gives really the story of grace in his own personal life and also in the message God has given him. So in other words, what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at this story of grace and the messenger of the mystery of the church. And then tonight, we're going to look at the story of grace in the mystery of the church. In other words, the message through which Paul was called to share. So we're going to see how grace came about in Paul's life because Paul gets very personal in some of these verses. And we're going to see how that grace was absolutely magnified in Paul's life. And then tonight, we're going to see how that same grace was magnified in this message of the mystery of the church. So we're going to begin this morning with the messenger of the mystery of the church. Now, the Bible calls it the mystery of Christ in the passage we just read. But this mystery of Christ and what it's dealing with is the mystery of the church because the Old Testament saints had no understanding of what God was going to do in what we call the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Now I want to make this statement and I want to make it clear. The New Testament emphasis is not on just the global church or the universal church. Or Listen, every born again believer is part of one body in Christ. That's the global church. But the emphasis of the New Testament is on the local New Testament church. And as a part of the global church, God manifests himself through the local body of the church. And so that's the emphasis here. But Paul begins by laying out this glorious story of grace in his own personal life. In other words, this oneness with Christ, this identity with Christ, he now lays it out of how it played into his own personal life. And he begins this in verse number 1. He says, for this cause, for what cause? All these truths that have already been shared, this oneness with Christ. For this cause, I, Paul, personal, the prince, prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Now, I want, I want to look at this. I want you to look first 
as the messenger of the mystery of the church, the rest of Paul. Now you say, what do you mean the rest of Paul? Well, here's what Paul's saying. For this cause, in other words, there was a reason, there was a purpose, whereby I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, look at it with me. He was at rest in his identification. And this is the key to this whole passage, that what allowed Paul to rest, no matter what his circumstances were, is he was at rest with who Christ was in him and who he was in Christ and what Christ had called him to do. So it didn't matter where he was or what he was doing. It didn't matter what came his way. He was at rest in his oneness with Christ. And listen to me. This rest in your oneness with Christ is the key to being at rest in whatever circumstances come your way. And Paul was at rest with his circumstances because he was at rest in Christ. And Christ was at rest in him. And so we begin here by seeing the overlying principle of the rest in his identification. But because of that, he was at rest in his imprisonment. Now notice what it says here. He says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You say, wait a minute, Paul. You wasn't a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You were a prisoner of Nero. You were a prisoner of Rome. Well, in his physical, listen, he was a prisoner of Rome. But in his spiritual, what Paul, how Paul saw it is, listen, I am suffering for the name of Christ. I am here by the will of Christ and by the ways of Christ. And therefore, I'm at rest in my imprisonment. So even though Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7, Paul said, I can rest being chained to a heathen guard. I can rest being chained in a prison. I can rest being chained at home or in a dungeon, whichever it was. And Paul says, I can be at rest no matter where I am, what I'm going through, because I know my oneness with Christ and I know who Christ is in me. You see, oneness with Christ would allow Paul to suffer, be persecuted in the name of Christ, and not throw in the towel. It would allow Paul to be able to still have confidence in his hope, confidence in his Savior, confidence in his call, no matter what circumstances came his way. Now, I want to ask us a question today. None of us that are listening are in prison, probably. There may be somebody, but nobody that I know that is listening is in prison. But let me ask you a question, the circumstances that are arising in your life. Are you at rest? Or do you worry? Or do you wring your hand? I mean, do you, do you literally walk about in a fearful state? Here's a great way to know if you're resting or if you're worrying. If what if is natural to your vocabulary, you're worrying. If God, you're in control, is natural to your vocabulary, you're resting. So in other words, if I live in the what is. I mean, what if I go to the grocery store? What if I encounter somebody that don't have a mask on? What if I touch something that someone that didn't have a glove on? Now listen to me. I want you to understand. I'm not saying that we ought to be cautious. That's not what I'm saying. 
But here's what I am saying. If you live your life gripped in fear, listen, you're not resting, you're worrying. And if you understand who Christ is in you and who you are in Christ, you'll be able to rest no matter what's going on. Listen, if this coronavirus lasts for three more years, we can still rest in the person of the Lord Jesus. And it don't matter what takes place. If you understand what God's done for you in saving you, if you understand what you have in the glorious provision of the Lord Jesus in your life, a peace that passes all understanding, that you and I can rest no matter what takes place in our life. Now understand the, the magnitude of this rest in his imprisonment. As a Pharisee, before Paul was saved, all he knew was popularity. All he knew was pain. All he knew was riches, and I'm talking about material riches. Pharisees in that day, listen, when they walked down the street, people parted the way because of their popularity and their fame. Literally, they were worshipped among the people of that day. And because of that, they were very affluent, very wealthy people. And you say, how can someone to go from that to being in prison and be more content in prison than he ever was as a lost Pharisee. I want to tell you how. It's a story of grace. It is grace, 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 grace. It is grace that allows him to rest. It is grace that brought him into his oneness with Christ. And so he was able to rest. Now this word, of course, is the word dulios, bondservant. I'm not going to deal with that because I've dealt with it multiple, multiple times. But I want you to understand that Paul, as a bondservant, was at rest, at rest in his imprisonment. I want you to see, secondly, not only the rest of Paul. He says, I am a prisoner. And then he says this, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and here it is, for you Gentiles. In other words, Paul was at rest because of his oneness. And in that, he had a relationship whereby he realized through discernment what God was up to. What was the purpose of this? I mean, can you imagine the church of Ephesus? And we know this from, from later on in verse 13 that we'll cover tonight, that the church of Ephesus was probably wringing their hands and saying, why in the world would God allow Paul to be in prison? Why in the world would allow Paul to have all these things happen to him? But here, here's Paul, and he realizes something. What does he realize? He realizes the providence of God in his life. Now, what is the providence of God? The providence of God is really the other side of the coin to the sovereignty of God in that God is always at work behind the scenes to accomplish his perfect will and way. So listen, everywhere you go, if you're saved today, the providence of God is at work in, through, and around you. And so the providence of God is always at work. And Paul understood this providence of God. Here's what's amazing about this. Paul never, from what I can read in Scripture, he never showed, showed self-pity. But instead, he braced the will of God for his life. And in this case, the will of God for his life was prison. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. If that's not grace, I don't know what it is. I mean, how can someone not throw any self-pity when you're thrown in prison? 
Because you understand that your life is in the hands of the person of the Lord Jesus. And it's not what you desire. What would, I guarantee you, Paul would have probably said before this, hey, well, I, don't, I don't desire to go to prison. But here's what he did desire, to be in the will of God. And here's the reality. Paul submitted his will to the lordship of his will. So in other words, Paul submitted his will to God's leading, to God's doing, to God's will for his life. And it didn't matter what Paul wanted. What mattered is what God wanted. Now remember, you read the book of Acts. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He just didn't know he was going to go in prison. He didn't know that was going to be the means. But that's exactly what God did in his providence. And so Paul saw the providence of God at work. Why? Because God was accomplishing something through his imprisonment. That the church of Ephesus didn't understand. That probably many other people that knew Paul didn't understand. But that Paul understood. Because of his oneness with Christ, God was able to give him discernment of what God was up to in his life. Now listen, we ought to be able to trust God no matter if we have discernment about what God's doing in your life. But Paul had discernment about what God was doing in his life. And by the way, this didn't, shouldn't have caught Paul by surprise because when the Lord called Paul, when the Lord saved Paul, the Lord sent Ananias to tell Paul exactly what was going to take place. You say, well, where's that at? Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. Ananias was told the Lord to go to the house of Saul and communicate this truth to him. And here's what it says. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things... He must suffer for my name's sake. Now let me ask you a question. If God saves you, and then God speaks to your heart and says, hey, I'm going to call you to a specific task. And here's what that task is going to indwell. You're going to suffer greatly by accomplishing this task. I wonder how many of us would raise our hand and sign up. So how did Paul know that what he was about to embark upon in the will of God, he knew that he was going to have to suffer. He may not have known it was going to be in a prison in Rome, but he knew he was going to suffer in some way. And yet Paul was willing to yield to the call of God upon his life regardless of what that word suffering meant for him. How could Paul do that? Grace, grace, grace. And so what you find here is you find the realization of Paul in the providence of God. But then you see the realization of Paul in the purpose of God. He says, for you Gentiles. Now how does that play into God's purpose? Because here's the reality. Where would Paul have a greater place of authority or of recognition or of understanding or of authenticity? Would it be when everything's going good in Paul's life or would it be when he's in prison suffering for the name of Christ? Whose ear would you listen to? Whose voice would you listen to more? Well, somebody that's suffering for Christ or somebody that has everything going well in their life? You see, Paul understood 
that God had put him here to further God's call in his life in the ministry to the Gentiles. I mean, can you imagine? You say, how was that? Well, I mean, we could deal with various, various things, but, but here's the reality of it. Just because Paul was in prison didn't change his call upon his life, which was to proclaim the riches of Christ to the Gentiles, to proclaim the gospel. Now, if we'd have gotten in prison, we'd say, well, wait a minute, Wait a minute, I didn't hear from you right, God. Why would you call me to preach, call me to proclaim, and then put me in prison where I could? Hey, I got news for you. Read the Bible. The Bible says that, that the Roman centurions, the Roman uh, soldiers of that day, many of them came to the saving knowledge of Christ. Why? Because they were chained to Paul. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for eight hours? Hey, I got, I got news for you. It would be Jesus the first hour, Jesus the second hour, Jesus the third hour. I mean, can you imagine? I guarantee you when those Roman soldiers got off duty, they were going, whoo, man, I, I don't, listen, I, I'm praying, listen, I don't know, you don't have any idea what you're about to endure. We don't get a paid enough for this. That's probably what some of them said. But the Bible says some of them came to the saving knowledge of Christ and it expanded throughout Rome. So let me ask you a question. Wherever, wherever God puts you or whatever God allows in your life, are you willing to be at rest in the fact that God's still trying to accomplish his perfect plan in your life no matter what he allows or no matter where he puts you? I, I, I talk to pastors all the time. And I talk to people in ministry all the time. And I hear pastors tell me things like, I'm only looking to go to this place or this area or this part of the country. But let me ask you a question. What if God sends you somewhere that you have no inkling about? Are you still going to be at rest? Or are you going to serve that time with the mindset that I'm here till God gets me out of this? You see, Paul was at rest in the providence of God. But Paul was at rest in the purposes of God. Listen to what Paul would go on to say about this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. Isn't that an amazing statement? I am a representative of Christ in chains. You say, how can I represent Christ in chains? Every Roman soldier that came in that place. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren, now watch, the Gentiles, remember, he said for the Gentiles, he said and many other brethren, the Gentiles, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in other words, if Paul's writing these letters from prison and he's, he's exhorting the church from prison and here's what they're reading. They're saying, hey, if this man chained to a Roman guard with the threat of his own life can be bold in their witness, how much more should we? But let me ask you a question. How many of you don't share your faith because you're worried about what they're going to ask you? 
I want to tell you something. How can Paul do this? Grace! His oneness with Christ proved itself out of his life. Well, so we see here the rest of Paul, the realization of Paul. Once you see the revelation of Paul, look at verse 2 and 3. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, the word dispensation here means to be a house manager or house steward over. And Paul says here, God has communicated to me that I'm to be a house steward over the grace of God. To who? You word. You word. A steward of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It's not on your outline. I didn't even plan on doing it. It just came to my mind. Here's what it says. Do not let the grace of God be in vain. And he's not talking about salvation. He's talking to believers. Because remember, it flows out of, of you, you're a new creature in Christ, 517. And, and you're an ambassador of Christ. And, and you've made, been made the righteousness of God. And then he says, therefore, do not let the grace of God be in vain. What does that mean? The grace of God that enables you. The grace of God that gives you the ability to rest is what we're seeing here in Paul. He said, don't let it be in vain. Don't let it be for naught. God's giving you his grace. He said, walk in it. Was given revelation. And this revelation that we'll deal with tonight is the mystery of the church. Or what's called the mystery of Christ here. It's one and the same. And so because Paul was at rest in his oneness with Christ, his fellowship, his relationship, Paul was a vessel through which God could speak to and show the marvelous truths that God was calling him to to be a steward over. The picture here, is someone that receives the supply of revelation from the master of the house. And that you and I become the stewards to the master of how we hand out throughout the household those supplies in which the master gave us. Paul says, God revealed to me the mystery, the glory and grace of God in the mystery of the church. And God has enabled me by his grace to be a steward over those truths and to hand them out in accordance with his will for my life. You say, preacher, I'm glad God didn't call me. He did. Not in the same way. But the Bible says that we have been entrusted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In other words, you and I are to be stewards of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The master has spoken. The master has provided. The master has given. And you and I, are stewards over what the master has done through Christ called the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So let me ask us a question. How are you doing with what the master gave you? 
You see, this is the revelation of Paul. Now I want you to skip down to verse 7. And I want you to look at the requirement of Paul. Now you say, why would you use that word? I'm going to show you why. Look at verse 7. Whereof where I was made. Now this word made is passive. means that God made him. The idea of the word is he made him out of nothing. He made a minister. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. You say, what do you mean it's the requirement? Because here's what it means. Paul had an inward, spirit-controlled compulsion that he could not escape and he could not get away from. And it was a call upon his life by God to share, communicate, teach, live out, and admonish the church and who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. And this was Paul's call upon his life. It was a requirement of Paul. Paul was not going to be able to escape it. Paul was not going to be able to get away from it. Now let me show you the grace of God in this. Think about Paul's history. Paul grew up how? Well, he was Saul before God saved him. And as Saul, what was he? Well, he was a devout Orthodox Jew. Been brought up in the rabbinical teaching since childhood. We've been brought up in all the, the mindsets and the thoughts and the doctrine of Judaism. And what was the doctrine of Judaism when it came to the Gentiles? Oh, listen, they were dogs. They were defiled. They were enemies. I mean, literally, Paul was taught growing up as a child to hate Gentiles and to not touch a Gentile because if you touch them, you're defiled and you've got to go through the mikvah and be cleaned all over again. I mean, this was how Paul was taught. Now, think about this just a moment. Think about it. What's the hardest thing to overcome when you're teaching people? The hardest thing to overcome when you're teaching people is getting out of them something they've been taught from knee-high to a grasshopper. I tell preachers sometimes that go into these old traditional Baptist churches that hadn't changed uh, one inkling of, of adhering to the Word of God in years and years. I said, here's what's going to have to happen. God's got to de-Baptist them before you can get them to be a Baptist. You have to tear up a foundation before you can lay a new foundation. And what happens here is Paul had this foundation of hatred, this foundation. Remember, let's go a step further. Paul not only hated Gentiles from his birth, but he hated Christians. How much so? He persecuted them. He killed them. He stoned them. Jew and Gentile alike. And then God makes him a minister of the truth of the gospel and the truth of the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. You say, Lord, you've lost your mind. Oh, no, that's what grace does. Grace takes something that man would look at and say, this is crazy. And God says, hey, listen, let me tell you why it's not crazy. Because who else can get glory from this? 
I mean, here's a man killing Christians. And now God makes him an apostle. <laughs> here's a man that hated Jews from his birth. And, I mean, hated Gentiles from his birth. And God sets him aside not to be. Hey, listen, it makes sense to be apostle to the Jews. But, hey, he's made apostle to the Gentiles. Do you not see that that's grace? Have you ever thought that the things God may be calling to you to in your life or leading you to in your life may be the things that you're the most uncomfortable with in your flesh? Because if you were comfortable with it, then I promise you, your humanity and my humanity, we would try to do it with all the vigor of our flesh if that was something I was at peace about or I was comfortable with. But here's what grace does. Grace gives you a peace with what you're uncomfortable with in the flesh. And grace enables you in the midst of it all. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Here's God's, Paul, here's God's call upon Paul's life. But rise, stand up to thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for, a pur for this purpose. In other words, I came to you. I saved you. Now listen, could God have saved Paul any other way? Could God have used another vessel to bring Paul to the saving knowledge of Christ? Could, could God have, have used another apostle to bring Paul to the saving knowledge of Christ? Absolutely he could. But why did Jesus Christ appear to Paul personally? And this is what the Lord said. I appeared unto you for this purpose. Why? Because, listen, it wasn't just his salvation at stake. It was his apostleship at stake. And every apostle that was a true apostle was called by the person of the Lord Jesus personally. And that's what makes Paul the 12th apostle. But listen to what Jesus went on to say. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and those things which I shall appear unto thee. Revelation. Revelation becomes the basis of the call upon your life, the requirement of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 through 18. For though I preach, here's Paul speaking, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. In other words, I'm compulsed. I, I'm charged. I, I, listen, I can't do it any other way. Think about it. Can you go? week after week after week and never share your faith and still be at peace? If you can, you need to check up. Because here's what Paul said. He said it was a necessity laid upon me. It was a compulsion in my life. I couldn't get away from it. He says, laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Can you imagine? Paul said, listen, if I lay it aside, woe is unto me. And he goes on to say, for I do this thing willingly. I have a reward. In other words, it's not God has made me, even though he has made me through the call, but yet he made me what I wasn't, and I yielded to him for what he made me. I willingly. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, and I abuse not my power in the gospel. So get this. 
God calls him to preach to the Gentiles. And Paul willingly, not forcibly, willingly says yes to the people he stoned. And he hated growing up as a child. How could God do that? It's called grace. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Please hear me. If you have hatred in your heart, do not tell me that you can never forgive that individual. Because that statement alone speaks against the very grace of God that brought you to himself. And if that's your mindset, I would challenge you that you've probably never encountered grace at all. Because grace took a man that hated Gentiles from his teaching, from his birth, and gave him a love and affection for Gentile believers to serve them, wash their feet, let me ask you a question. If you were in prison and you was going to write a letter, would you write it to the ones you love the most or the ones that you dislike the most? You would write it to the ones you love the most. Do you not find it amazing? Paul's in prison. And he's writing letters to Gentile churches who he grew up hating the most. How can that happen? Grace! Well, let's go on. The resources of Paul. Look what it says. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me. By the effectual working of his power. In other words, here's what Paul said. There's nothing in me that could have done this. It was the working of his grace. It was the working of his power. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles. In other words, here's the way Paul saw himself. If you take the other 11 apostles and you put me in the lot amongst them, he said, I'm the least of them. He said, they're far greater than I am. But watch what it says. That am not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. I hated them. But, aren't you glad when a but happens, something changes? He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than them all. He said, I'm the least of them all. He said, but I labored more than them all. But yet not I. He said, I worked to the place of exhaustion. That's what the word labor means. But not I. It wasn't me. It may have looked like me, but it wasn't me. You say, Paul, who was it? It was the grace of God that was within me. So here's what Paul's saying. 
the gospel, the call upon his life to proclaim truth, the gospel will float out of God's grace and it pointed to God's grace. In other words, it begins and it ends with God's grace. Lastly, the reflection of Paul. Look at verse 8. Unto me. What is he talking about unto me? This call upon my life. Unto me? I mean, this is the way I take this passage. Unto me? Really? Unto me? you got to be kidding. Unto me? I mean, Paul's just reflecting here. Who am less than the least of all saints? Notice this. He doesn't say the less of all saints or the least of all saints. He said, I'm the least of the least of all saints. He said, so whoever you think the worst saint is, he said, I'm worse than that. You say, well, he's showing, he's showing pride. No. Paul understood that without Christ and without grace, he was nothing. Paul knew, remember, the one command, the one command Paul gave in the first two chapters, remember who you were. Paul says, I know who I was. I know what I did. I know what I was. But I also know who I am now. He said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He knew what he was, but he also understood God's grace and what he is now. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now I want you to listen. In all my years of ministry, I encountered this in my own life and God had to jerk the rug out from under me. How many agree God has an amazing way of humbling I remember one time after I pastored my first church, I had so much pride in me I could strut sitting down. I, I'm serious. You couldn't have got my head through this double door in the back of the sanctuary. I had this mindset, oh, I'll go down to this, this church in Alabama and I'll preach what I preached to them up in Tennessee and God will do the same thing. We had multiple, multiple years where we had tons of people saved every year. Church tripled inside, went to my head. I forgot who I used to be. I forgot that only way I am what I am is by the grace of God. It's not what I did, it's what God does. And I went down there and God jerked the rug out from under me. And I realized that I'm nothing without him. Sometimes I've seen this with new converts. They'll get saved. They'll begin to absorb truth. And they'll begin to take in truth. And they'll become, they'll become very knowledgeable of truth. And then all of a sudden, pride begins to set in. And they think they got a sheriff, everybody else, that don't know the truth that they know. Here's how Paul saw it. I'm the least of all apostles. And I'm the least, the least of the least of all saints. 
It is only by grace. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. Let me give you an illustration and a verse in closing. The story was told of the great Toscanini, who was a orchestra master And he put on a concert. And when he got done with the concert, the audience just began to wildly applaud. I mean, one encore after another, after another, after another. Just throwing their, their jeers upon Tuscanini of his masterful work as a conductor of an orchestra. Finally, when it settled down, Tuscanini turned his back to the crowd and in a voice where the orchestra could hear him, he said, I am nothing. You are nothing. But Beethoven is everything. Now you take that practical illustration, you put a spiritual spin on it, and here's what Paul's saying. I am nothing. You and I both are nothing. But Christ is everything. So no wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul said, I'm the least. But, Grace made me one with him, empowered me by him. And therefore, I can't do nothing but proclaim that I'm nothing, but he's everything. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I'm done. Doesn't that take the starch out of your shirt? should because what have we looked at if you're saved today who did it what you're empowered with who gave it to you who you are it's because Christ and whatever God calls you to only Christ can do it You see, that's the story of grace in the messenger of the mysteries of the church. Tonight, we'll see the same story in the message of the mystery of the church. Because what was true for Paul is true of us. Have you ever encountered that grace? Because that's saving grace. It's sanctifying grace. If you haven't, I got some good news for you. His grace can woo and draw you to Christ. Right here, right now. You say, preacher, I know I'm saved. Then let me ask you a question. Are you at rest? and who Christ is in you, and who you are in Christ.
Would you be at rest? If one day, because you shared your faith at work, the sheriff walked up to your house, arrested you, and threw you in the county jail, would you still be at rest? That's the rest that Paul understood. I said all that to say this. God tore me up with this passage. I prayed this morning, and here's what I prayed. I'm just going to be transparent with you folks. Father, I realize now I know very little of your grace. Father, I pray would you work this in us? Father, what a liberating truth. But Father, what a convicting truth. The same grace that Paul had is the same grace you gave every child of yours. Teach us to remember who we were, but to understand who we are in Christ that we can walk in this measure of grace from this day forward for your glory in Jesus holy precious and mighty name Amen